Welcome back to Back Chat with Joe Costigan. This week I spoke to Sinn Féin TD Mairead Farrell about her experience as a young politician and why so many young people are drawn to Sinn Féin. So thanks for talking to me today, Mairead. I thought, you know, when you're talking about political issues that affect young people, it would be great to get someone from Sinn Féin on. You know, the party is polling really well with young people. A recent poll saw you at 44% with under 34s. And, you know, in the last election, he did 10 points better with young voters than he did with the overall population. And as a young TD yourself, I thought it'd be great to hear from you. So you've been involved with the party from quite a young age. So what made you want to get involved with politics in general, but more specifically Sinn Féin from such a young age? I suppose I had quite an interest in politics um, from when I was about maybe 14 or that. I um, was doing a bit of history in school, a bit of Irish history, and then that just got me reading a lot of Irish history books. I think it was actually that speech by um, Pork Pierce at O'Donovan Rossa's grave. And then I read a bit about O'Donovan Rossa, and then that got me on to um, the Easter Rising, and it got me then on to um, Thomas Clark and that, and um, Morris Sweeney and that. So it was actually just, I think, in that sense, I got very much interested in history, and then that developed um, naturally, I suppose, into politics. And I... I think that um, at about that age then, I would have canvassed a bit. I had quite an interest in joining Sinn Féin at the time, but my mother obviously wanted me to, you know, do my leaving cert and that kind of thing rather than initially. Um, so she, but I would have done a bit of canvassing for um, Catherine Connolly and her sister Colette in Galway when I was that uh, kind of 15, 14, 15, 16 um, with my family who would have been supportive of them. And then I suppose once I turned 18, once I finished my leaving search was the summer of 2008. And I then immediately joined Sinn Féin um, within Galway first. And then obviously once I went to college, I got involved in college as well and in Ogre and that kind of thing. But it was initially just um, Sinn Féin in, in Galway itself. So I had wanted to join for like a, a good number of years. So I was very excited to join. And it's just something that I've always been interested in. I was always been very interested in politics. And then I suppose I did my leaving cert in 2008. And that was when, you know, the financial crash happened and all that. And we were looking at, I suppose, going, uh, finishing school. And some of us were looking at going to college and that kind of thing with no real prospects of jobs or being able to stay um, in Ireland. And I know so many um, of my classmates, like a huge majority of the classmates went abroad because they just didn't have any you know, options of being able to stay at home. So that then obviously politicised me a bit more as well. And then when I was in college, I got very interested in economics because I felt it was very much, um, you know, economics is so is so essential, I suppose, and so in terms of politics and it's so similar to politics in so many ways that I really, I ended up studying that as well. And that I think um, developed my politics even more. And how did you find canvassing within the party as a young person you know did you feel that you were listened to did you feel that you were still very much a valued member of the party or did you feel different to kind of older members who'd been there a lot longer than you oh no not at all um no it was great I have to say like I I'm really really close to my common members so like some of say for example my common chair he's in his 60s as is and the Cordy Cantor chair and they'd be people that I would meet up with um outside of uh like outside of Sinn Féin things, like I'd be on the phone to them all the time. So it's something that I'm very, you know, like it's something that, you know, I, I always felt listened to, I always felt like, you know, it was also a good crack and everything else that comes with it. But, you know, absolutely, like they always took me um, very serious, seriously. So, no, I really enjoyed my time 
And, you know, what I liked then was they also joined the youth movement. Ogre was great because some of my best friends still to this day I met through Ogre. And it means that I can go to any county in Ireland. And if my car breaks down, I'll know somebody to ring, you know, that kind of way. Like we we had that kind of sense of solidarity with it amongst each other. We it was actually Ogre was brilliant because what we did was we had a lot of weekends away where we actually did a lot of political education. But we also had the crack in the evenings. And it was good because we developed really lifelong friendships. And it was that time for the first time really that you'd meet people who actually had you know the same interests as you who had that same um political viewpoint as you which was great so yeah so you had a obviously a really positive experience in Ogre Sinn Féin but I know there are a lot of other members who didn't share that same experience in the last few years you know we've seen a lot of different people leaving over accusations of bullying did you ever see that same bullying yourself in the in the party no and I think um I, I don't think there was anyone um, in that time when I was in Ogre that I, I don't remember or recall anyone having an issue with bullying. Um, when I was in, o- in Ogre, that was in that 2008 period. I, I, I don't know if you know differently, but I, I, I don't think there was. Um, so, no, we, I have to say we actually had a brilliant, like brilliant time. I think people always say it was Ogre's best days. <laughs> Not really, but, you know, obviously when you're from that particular era, you always say they were the best days. But we had, um, I have to say, it was brilliant and we really developed our politics, and especially in terms of international politics and that kind of thing. So what we had a lot of the time was that we would have um, guests from other um, countries, say the Basque country, and that would come over, delegations is what I mean. And um, also we would have organised, now I never had the chance to go on that, but the kind of um, Basque international trips to the Basque country, um, Catalonia, I think some went to Corsica and redeveloped that kind of international solidarity and those kind of international links. Now, I was just because of work and stuff, I, I, I wasn't able to go. But it really is. It was really good in that sense, like that kind of international solidarity as well. One thing that I did do um, was uh, when I was actually I did my Erasmus in Berlin. And in, in that year in Berlin, there was kind of an international youth con- conference of left wing organizations. And that was very interesting just to. Yeah, different perspectives on how different um how how politics was going in different countries. But I think that like that really was the foundation of my political education um was those ogre days because we had that, like, you know, we had those kind of discussions, we had that kind of, you know, those m- meetings on particular topics, um, which was very good. And it was the kind of situation where you could ask the questions that you didn't know, you know, um, and you could really develop your politics, which I have to say I really enjoyed. Not to say that that wouldn't have been the case in our common meetings as well, but it was just different because obviously you love to hang out with people your own age who have that those same issues. So that was great. So based on your own personal experience, would you recommend to other young people who want to get involved in politics to join a party at, at a young age? I think, yeah, I, I well, I think it's, it's up to you as an individual and what you particularly want to do. Or, and I have a lot of people, oh, how do you get involved in politics? Like, I mean, what I think is the key here is what are you interested in? What do you fundamentally want to change? What do you think is a great injustice? Um, so, for example, we see today there's the MICA protest, right? So we're going to see what I think it's on at the moment. So I, I can't say how many people will say anyway, hundreds or thousands of people from Donegal coming to um, coming to Dublin to say that they need 100 percent redress. And like, I mean, for those families who are affected, that's a great injustice that they see. Um, and that they get involved in. So I think if you are interested in politics, I mean, look at what you're interested in. So that could be like for me, it was joining a political party. For others, 
it might mightn't be you know um it might be that they want to get involved in their local housing action group it might be that they think that i know they could be very much in, involved in irish language um in irish language and um, the revival of the irish language um or whatever you may call it so you know it depends what you're interested in get involved in whatever you're interested in and the core really of it is that you want to make the world a better place you know, you want to make it better for those who come after us and also for those who are living in it now. So get involved in whatever those particular injustices that you see. And if that is joining a political party, then do. And if that isn't joining a political party, then don't. You know, it, it just really is depending on your own your own interests and whatever you see as the injustices and how to deal with those. And do you think that um, there's a benefit to kind of separating the younger and the older members by having a youth wing because I know some parties such as people before profit and the social democrats have decided not to start a youth wing that they all young members will just be part of the senior party do you think it's better to kind of separate them or do you think it's better to have them all in as one well I I think what we have is actually a mixture so there's a youth movement and anybody who wants to join the movement can youth movement can if people aren't interested so there'll be plenty of young members who for whatever reason might decide they don't want to or they don't have the time or it's not really that strong in their own area or whatever it may be. So I think, um, I like, I like the fact, like, I really enjoy being an ogre, as I said, like, you know, some of my best friends genuinely are from my ogre days. I really enjoyed that, but I, I think it's good to have that mixture. So whereby I was just as heavily involved in my local um, Gawish and Fane structures as I was in Ogre and Fane. And I, and I don't think that they're mutually exclusive. I think they're actually, you know, it's different things you do. So like in Ogre, you know, you have that greater flexibility as well. You know, you might go to certain things. You might go to, you know, you, you don't have to go to everything that's going on. You might go to different weekends, um, education weekends or that, or you might go to national protest or um, all those different things. You might organize a protest in your own area on different issues that might affect young people, but might just be broader than that. And um, so it really depends. But like, I like the the way the structures, like, I mean, they work for me, but that doesn't mean it works for everyone. You just have to kind of do your own thing and whatever suits you. So obviously there are lots of people you know involved in Ogre Sinn Féin and in the party itself, but the vast majority of people who support Sinn Féin and vote for Sinn Féin aren't in the party at all. But that is a huge, huge amount of people. You know, as I was saying earlier on, an Irish Times poll found recently that 44% of people under 34 support Sinn Féin. And in the last election, it was something like 32%, which was 10% higher than what your result was with the country as a whole. So why do you think that Sinn Féin is resonating with young people specifically? Because obviously you've had a huge boost nationally, but particularly with young people, it's just that bit stronger. Well, I think that young people have time and time again been left behind. Like the housing crisis obviously affects everyone, but there's also people, like a lot of young people who look and say they'll never be able to own their own home or even rent a home that they don't have to sh- like you know share with and like you know sharing with people can be fun and, and enjoyable but um a lot of people might might want that for the rest of their lives so like it, it's all that or they might be think that they're gonna even when they're a pensioner they're gonna have to um they're gonna have to rent so I think that I think for a lot of people for a lot of young people they just see us talking straight that we're talking for ordinary people um and I think that's really the thing that is, um, I suppose, resonating with young people and with people in general. I think that they're seeing that, um, you know, there is a different way and a more fair way of doing things. So obviously there's the people in older generations have kind of turned to Sinn Féin because they believe that you are the answer to these problems that you're talking about, like the pension age and the housing crisis and stuff. 
But I think it's a bit different when we're talking about young people because there's now a whole generation of people who have only voted Sinn Féin or have only put Sinn Féin as their first preference. And that's, you know, that's not the same. If you go back generations, you had Fine Gael families, Fianna Fáil families. That cycle has kind of been broken by this generation. Are you mindful of that, that this, there's this kind of pressure on you that a whole generation have put their faith in you by giving you their first ever vote? Yeah, like, I mean, it, it's great. Um, and it's great to see, like, that people... You know, there had been a tradition, I suppose, where people would see themselves as a certain political party household and they would vote that way. And of course, um, no matter what the party is, um, whether it's ourselves or other people, obviously what you want is to see people, you know, thinking about politics themselves and um, deciding for themselves rather than seeing that it's a particular way um, that they should or um, could be uh, voting. So look, it is, it, like, I mean, it's obviously great to see that people are moving towards um, voting for ourselves and, and for giving us that opportunity, hopefully, to be in government and to implement the changes that we want to see. I know that a lot of people, kind of older voters, might be a bit more hesitant to turn to Sinn Féin because they would have reservations from your past ties to the IRA, you know, your, your involvement in the Troubles and stuff. And I think a lot of people will be quick to dismiss this kind of surge in youth support for Sinn Féin by saying, oh, but you weren't around before the Good Friday Agreement. You know, you weren't around during the Troubles. And I think... To be honest, I think it's a small bit disingenuous to say to young people, oh, you're only voting the way that you're voting because you don't know any better. But at the same time, you know, we, we weren't around at that time. And what would you have to say on that about, you know, why we're voting Sinn Féin? And are, we, are people our age fully educated on the issue or does it matter? Well, I think it's very condescending, that kind of narrative towards young people. Like, I mean, um, young people are fully entitled to make up their own mind um, in terms of who they're voting for and nobody should condescend them in relation to that um, and I think that we are in general seeing a move towards Sinn Féin which is good well like, I mean I think it's good obviously being a Sinn Féin TD <laughs> other people you know obviously um, other political parties won't see that as good but I think what is very clear is that Sinn Féin talk um, for and to ordinary working people and ordinary working families and that's something that um, politics has not done in a very very long time and up until really recently, you know, Sinn Féin was very much seen as an opposition party and a vote for Sinn Féin was a vote for the opposition. Whereas I think going forward now, at least for the foreseeable anyway, a vote for Sinn Féin is now a vote for them to be in government and it's a vote to see Mary Lou Macdonald as Taoiseach. So I think people are kind of looking at your policies much closer and because these could now be government policy if yeah, that's absolutely. the way the next election goes. And I think it's really important to kind of look at what the party actually stands for, because I think there's, for me anyway, looking at it, there seems to be a lot of kind of division within the party. So in your opinion, is Sinn Féin no, a socialist I really party? Yeah, of course, it's a socialist party. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really don't think there's a lot of division in the party, I have to say. And that's as somebody who's been in the party for the last 13 years. Um, but absolutely, yeah, we're, we are a socialist party. We're a party of, like, what you know, what does socialism mean? Like, we are a party of equality. We are a party of wanting people to have um, the same kind of opportunities. We're the party that want to see ordinary people being able to have a place to live and a place to sleep, to have enough money to put food on their table, to work in fair jobs, um, whereby they have a good standard of a good standard of living and able to enjoy life um, outside of the work as well. So um, I think that's like I mean that is a core message from us, and I think that's been very clear. Um, in relation to our policies and our politics. Um, so I think that's, you know, I think that's where um, we're at. And I think that's what's resonate, resonating with people. 
so what you're saying, everything that you're saying there is kind of, it is evident in what you say here in the Republic of Ireland. But I think if you go up north and you look at, you know, your actions in government, people don't really see that kind of matching up. You know, you've been complicit in implementing austerity up there and, you know, increasing the pension age. And when people are saying to you, oh, well, it's very easy for you to, you know, preach these ideas when you're not in government, it doesn't really think- mean anything if you're not following through on that when you're actually in government in the north. I think it's people that don't understand, I suppose, how the North and South and everything works. I think mainly that are saying that. So, um, you know, they don't really understand what power sharing is, that it's um, literally like, you know, the power sharing came out of the Good Friday Agreement. And obviously power sharing is a good thing. Um, the fact that Stormont is up and running is a good thing. But, um, you know, it is a power sharing executive of five um, parties of some very conservative parties conservative the like that we wouldn't even have in the south and so and also in relation to saying that you know we're like i mean it's funny like it just shows what people don't understand in relation to and this is i suppose something that we need to get out there more not just in terms of how people perceive us but just even in terms of the whole uniting ireland debate and for people to be aware of actually what goes on in storm and so the fact of the matter is like i mean we have no the only fiscal thing that we can do is increased rates in the north. That's the only thing, right? So we get this block grant, as everyone's aware. Um, well, I don't actually think everyone's aware in relation to that, but like a, a lot of the, we, we don't have fiscal control, you know, and that's something that we have long been calling uh, for Westminster to actually delegate to Stormont, but obviously Westminster isn't going to do that because, you know, they, they, they've been very clear that they don't want to do that. And um, so I do think, I mean, I, I heard Conor Murphy on this morning on Morning Ireland, and he's very good on it. Because it was um, in relation to, in relation to Stormont at the moment, I suppose, and um, where it's at. And it's, it's funny, like, um, it, it's very clear, you know, from people, a lot of people in the South just don't fully, you know, understand what's going on in the North and that. And they were saying, you know, about the Irish language act, like, like, you know, we're very, saying very, very clearly Irish, the needs to be implemented. And that was something that was agreed, um, gener- like, that was an agreement by you know, the, to, to, to reinstate the power sharing executive. So by all, like, including by the DUP and the DUP are now reneging on that. And I think people are saying, oh, and one of the questions that Conor Murphy was asked, oh, is this an ultimatum by Sinn Féin? No, it's following through on on rights. Uh, you know, we want a rights-based society. Um, and that is why we signed the agreement. You know, we are in a power sharing executive with very conservative parties. We're aware of that, but, you know, we feel it is important to be part of that. That is something that has come out of the Good Friday Agreement as part of the peace process. Do we want that um, going forward? No, we want to campaign for United Ireland. That's what we're doing. We would like to have, you know, that we would like to have fiscal powers. We would like, you know, in the, not just in the North, in a United Ireland, how can, can we even re- reimagine um, and Ireland, like, you know, when, when it's reunited, and in my opinion, it is when and not if, um, and that we would have self-determination. I mean, I think self-determination for any nation is absolutely crucial. I think the fact that we don't have powers, you know, it's shocking. And I think a lot of the time, people in the South especially just don't understand that. And I think genuinely, if that conversation was had more in the South, I think it would like actually astonish people as to how few powers you know, are in the North and the fact that like, you know, and I, I really do think it is something even in terms of an Irish unity campaign and all of that, which I hope obviously will happen soon. I think that will really, you know, I, I think that will hit home with people because I think everyone feels that, you know, if you elect representatives, that they should have power and that they should have control. 
Um, and that's just simply, you know, in a power sharing executive, which is very important. Uh, we all want to see it up and running. I'm not saying it in terms of in any negative way. It's very important. But, you know, that whole concept of self-determination, I do think is important too. Yeah, I think it's fair, you know, to say that you don't have full fiscal power up there. And I think people need to be mindful of that when criticising different things you've done economically. But I think it is to some degree a cop out to kind of blame all your failings in the North on that, because, you know, Westminster don't dictate your votes on social issues. And if you look at one of the biggest social issues in the South in the last few years was repeal the 8th. And, you know, Sinn Féin took mm-hmm. a clear stance on that. He were very much pro-repeal. We saw Mary Lou MacDonald herself appearing on various debates. And, you know, you're very strong and vocal on that. But then you turn to the North where this year, you know, you abstained on a vote on, abort- on abortion rights. So it does kind of bring up the question, do you genuinely believe in these causes or are you saying them here in the South because they're the popular thing to say and are you trying to appeal everyone or do you genuinely believe it? Because I think if people felt that she genuinely believed it, would they not expect to see he following through on that up up in the North? Because they know that's not a fiscal issue, that's a human rights issue. So as you probably know in relation to abortion and that, that's again something that we um, want to see implemented as we have um, wanted to see uh, that we like campaigned heavily for in the south as well. What we saw recently with the DUP was literally a cynical move to distract from the issue, right? So what their motion was was to actually restrict abortion services, services which haven't even yet been commissioned. It was a totally cynical move, um, and because of that, we like you know we don't just you know we know what the DUP are like. We've worked with them long enough, and we don't just. Um, jump into any cynical motion that they will have what the, what they will do so because of that we said we made the decision to abstain because by their actions the DUP were playing politics um with women's lives and and health and i think it's totally unacceptable to have a situation where um political point scoring is basically done um, because it is an absolute disservice to everyone that's affected and like i'm a young woman so it, this is an issue that is particularly important to me um, because obviously, you know, I could easily be in a situation where I um, need to make that choice whether I um, need or want an abortion, I suppose. Um, so it is something that I feel particularly strongly about. But what we need to have a discussion now isn't about how to block services, which is what the DUP um, want to do, but rather how quickly they can be commissioned um, and also what form they need to take to meet women's health care needs. Um, so that's why we decided to not engage with the DUP's um, cynical politicking on the floor of the assembly, which they decided to do a few months ago. Uh, like, I mean, the decision to commission services can only be taken at the executive table. That's where it needs to be done. Um, and we've been very clear, Michelle O'Neill has been very clear on many occasions when she said to the Minister for Health, who's Robin Swan, who is um, a DUP MLA, that he has to commission these services without delay. But instead of, um, you know, dealing with that issue, um, what we're seeing is this kind of attempt to make it a political point scoring thing um, and saying that the issue is too controversial. Um, and that's why they're not commissioning it and instead they just continue to have delays. Like, it's, it's just simply unacceptable that politicians um, would deny women like that kind of access to vital, absolutely vital health care. Um, so we have been very clear with Robin Swan and it is a decision that can only be taken at the executive table that he needs to commission these services as as per agreements. So you don't think that your abstention 
on this motion in any way affects your stance as a pro-choice party? No, I mean, we don't want to engage in political theatrics by the DUP, and I don't think we should. We shouldn't just, um, you know, the reality is that, that this was theatrics. Like, this literally can only, this decision can only be taken at the executive table. We've been asking him to commission. So instead of ta- having a conversation about commissioning these services, what the DUP were doing, were bringing a motion forward um, to actually, res- you know, constrain or restrain or whatever you want to call it, I can't think of the word, um, abortion services that actually haven't even been commissioned. So, like, I mean, that is literally just moving away. You know, it's it's um, deflecting, I suppose, from what really is the situation whereby these can be commissioned at the executive table. Hence why we keep asking, and Michelle O'Neill keeps saying to the Minister for Health that he needs to commission these services. Yeah, so as we were saying earlier on, you know, there is, there has been a drive in support for Sinn Féin, and, you know, but... Do you think that the party sometimes has a tendency to try to cater to all people? Because if you look no. at kind of the two other, you know, big parties, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, you know, they have, as you were saying, that kind of voter base that has been around for generations, whereas you don't have that. You know, these new polling numbers for you, it isn't, oh, you're back, back at the heights that you were, you know, 20 years ago. These are new heights for you. You haven't really been here before. So they're brand new voters do you think that sometimes the party is trying to cater to all those people for fear of losing them as quickly as you gain them? No, I really don't think so. I think like we have been around a long time. We have been around and saying, um, articulating our politics at a time when it wasn't popular. And that, I mean, even when I was a member of Sinn Féin and um, like, you know, even since I've been a member of Sinn Féin, we, we've been many of times at very low like you know low rates in the polls and that but what we want to do like we're here to fundamentally change things that's what we're here to do like I mean we want to see Irish unity we want to see the implementation of equality um for for ordinary for ordinary people like which has never been the case in the state um so like that's what we want to do and that's what we're here to do that's that's why I'm a member of Sinn Féin um, that's why I've ran for election for Sinn Féin. So this isn't about being high in the polls or whatever it may be. Yes, we want to get into government. Yes, you know, being high in the polls means you have a better chance of being in government and having um, strong sway in a in a potential government. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, we're here to implement that change. Like, that's why we're here. And what would a Sinn Féin government look like? You know, um, if we talk about coalition partners, what kind of what parties would you be looking to go into government with? Well, I suppose, um, like with any um, government, with any go, like so, obviously, what you have to wait and see is obviously what happens in the polls. So, obviously, we would hope. I mean, not in the polls in the election. So, obviously, we would hope to poll well. You know, so many factors determine that things can change overnight. Like you literally do not know where you're going to stand and how you're going to stand. So, like I mean, I really think all that comes into play post an election. You know. Obviously, we want to be, if we get in, we would like, no, obviously, we'd hope to be in a strong position. We'd hope to be, um, you know, the main party with um, strong numbers. Obviously, that's everything that we would hope. Um, Obviously, I can't predict how people are going to vote, nor nor would I try and predict because it's not fair on people. Like, people have to make up their own minds. Um, But, you know, obviously, then you're trying to, what I I suppose, what the basis is then is um, negotiations and what kind of agenda people you're happy to sign up to, you know, that kind of way. And what you would actually want to implement, and we would have things that we strongly want to implement. Like, for example, we want to deal with the with the housing crisis once and for all. Something that's been ignored for so long. And could you ever see a scenario where he as the main party go in with either Fine Gael or Fianna Fáil to form a coalition? 
Well, I mean, as I said, it would literally depend on um, what kind of makeup of a program for government. Um, so, like, if if there's a party that's happy to sign up to what we want to see happen, then I would imagine we would go into government with them. Um, and then if there's a party that isn't happy, you know, like the program for government is actually the crucial document here, you know. And um, what do you want to see implemented? What um, what can be done, you know? And would you be worried about coming across as maybe a small bit hypocritical to possibly go in with Fine Gael or Fianna Fáil after running all of your campaigns kind of on a platform that was very much anti both of those parties and saying that the most important thing right now is to get is to break the cycle of them being in government to then prop up a government with them in it? Do you think that's a small bit hypocritical or do you think it's kind of for the greater good to get yourselves into government? Well, I think to prop up means you have like five seats and you're in a like you know like the Green Party now. Yeah. So, but if but if you're in the um, government, with I don't you, think if you use uh, like I mean, I, I think what we want to do, what we would hope is obviously being a strong. Well, propping up is a different term. That's a term that you use. So I, I'll go back to that. Like I think propping up means basically that you're there and you're and passive um, participant in a government. What we want to see is fundamental change being implemented. Uh, we want to see Irish unity. I, I actually don't think that um, our, uh, like this, that Ireland will see its full potential if we don't see our, have Irish unity. Um, and I think I, I genuinely believe that. How can we, as a, as a, you know, state, fulfil our potential without Irish unity? Um, do I think that people should be um, homeless in, you know, over a number of years? You know, what we what I deal with all the time is people in homeless accommodation, people who cannot get a place to live. You know, Galway City is horrendous in terms of um housing issues. So I like, I mean, that's what we're we're there to do to make fundamental changes. I don't think we'll be there to prop up, um, to be as a prop up for any kind of any anyone that wants to um, keep the establishment. And let's face facts: it's not just been a fall in the gale that have been that have led to the ruination of. You know, like well, Fianna Fáil, for example, and and the Greens. We've seen what La- the Labour Party have done. So it's it's not just a simple black and white of saying it's just two parties that have had have been in power in the past and have had negative impacts. Like, I mean, what we want to do is we want to see positive change in this state, um, and what we want to see is that positive change actually being implemented. We believe that a Sinn Fein government would implement that. We want to be in as strong a position as possible, and um, coming out of the next general election, hopefully. If we're lucky, that's what we want to do. It depends on how people vote. It depends how people's mood um, on that voting day. But that's what we want. We want to be in as strong a position as possible to implement those changes and to actually make life better for, pe- for people. But if, if we take out the word prop up and if we if we get rid of that term and say that you're going in as the majority party in this, do you think that you can actually implement those changes if ye bring in all these parties who ye have said have caused the situation that we're currently in? Well, obviously, if we're we're majority, it wouldn't be a, a, a you wouldn't think it would be a conglomerate of different parties. I think the um the crucial impact the crucial point here would be that it would need to be a progressive program for government. That is the key. That it is a progressive program for government, um, with parties that want to see that implementation of that of a progressive program for government that deals with the issues of the day, um, and obviously broader issues than that as well. But the, the issues of the day, as we know, is that we have a severe infrastructural deficit in the state. We've seen it now, like it's not just something that Sinn Féin are say, saying, it's the ESRI, IFAC, um, OECD um, and IMF even, which is surprising. But yeah, and that we have a severe infrastructural deficit um, in so many ways. 
um, especially in terms of housing and especially in terms of healthcare. So really it's about having a progressive program for government um, and seeing who is willing to implement that in progressive program in government with us. So you're not ruling any parties out. It kind of all depends on what program of government you can form with different partners. Well, it depends on who's willing to implement a progressive program for government. And like, I'm not going to decide what other political parties may change their views on stuff. That's totally up to them and their membership. Um, but what I want to see and what Sinn Féin want to see is a strong progressive um, program for government that will actually see change that will be implemented. Um, change that will be implemented. And obviously we've talked a lot about a united Ireland and that's something that, you know, obviously Sinn Féin have campaigned for for decades or a century now and, you know, will campaign for in the future. In your eyes, what would that look like? You know, is this the six counties joining our state? Is this the north and south combining to form a new state? What would that look like? Well, that literally, like, I mean, that, like my vision for what a united Ireland is and your vision for a united Ireland will be different right um but they're equally as important so it will literally be up to every single citizen to take a look at what they want you know so it's not something that what i would love my vision of united ireland to be implemented um reality is that's just not the way it that's not the way it works what we see what we will see um, and what we need now is that debate to be started in relation to what kind of a united ireland we want to see um, and we need a citizens' assembly in relation to that. That will actually discuss and thrash out um, all the ideas, all the visions. Um, but I genuinely, fundamentally believe that without self determination like that, we, you know, we that we won't fulfil our potential. Um, I want to see, obviously, um, a you know a society of of that is fundamentally rooted in equality. There's other people that won't want to see that. Um, there's people that will want to see different things and we'll have the disc- we'll have to have all those discussions like I mean I think what needs to be clear here is that a united Ireland is for all the people of Ireland and that means people who have different points of view to me and people who have my point of view but all of us will have different points of view in relation to that but the point is that we need to start having that conversation as to what kind of a society um, a united Ireland will look like and to try and you know convince people in the north who would consider themse- who would consider themselves british to join us do you think we need to fix things like our housing system our healthcare system or do you think that uh, that uniting the country would be an opportunity to rebuild those systems from scratch i think there's a bit of both in it like i mean i i, I think that well we obviously there's going to be people who will never be in favor of united ireland right and we need to be fully aware of that and fully um, understand that but what we need to do is as much outreach with people who are unsure in relation to United Ireland that's North and South um, there's people that you know what we need to be very clear to anybody with a British identity that their identity their British identity will be fully protected um, you know in a United Ireland as per Good Friday Agreement and that that people can have uh, different identities and um, that will all be need to be but like I mean there'll be some people who won't want a United Ireland and that that's like you know there's going to be some people that we won't be able to convince but I think um or who you know who mightn't be in favor of it that's something but we need to have as much outreach and and show that like you know that we're not here to exclude people you know and I think that was something that people felt I suppose and when this state was created that there was that um, level of exclusion of people you know you know very became a catholic state you know when I suppose those um you know, the Protestants and that of different faiths um, felt excluded. 
Um, and that's just something that I had, uh, you know, there was a discussion on recently, which I found quite interesting. But I think, um, I mean, I do think that, you know, a United Ireland will allow us to fulfill our potential. That would mean also in terms of infrastructure, as you mentioned, um, obviously, you know, at the moment we have the doubling up of infrastructure in certain ways. And that obviously the fact that there's um, north and south, that will all have to be looked at. Absolutely. But like, I mean, what we want is that it'll be looked at for the betterment of everyone. That's what we need to be looking at going forward. And obviously, you know, recently we saw that Leo Varadkar and Michal Martin both said that in the long run, they both support United Ireland. Do you think that if that's the case, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael need to start running candidates in the north to kind of follow through on that? Or do you think it's, do you think it's enough for them just to express their support for it here in the south? Well, I think that um, I think that um, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael appear to have a huge amount of interest in, in the north, except when it comes to running candidates. So look, I mean, that's obviously not that's obviously um, a discussion for their own internal parties. Um, but like, I mean, I think that. Why not? Like, I mean, why wouldn't they want to run in the north? You know, I think that would obviously be that's something up for their own parties. But I, I don't fully understand why they wouldn't want to. Um. So, like, I mean, but as I said, like that is a discussion for their own parties, not for me. Do you think part of why they're so slow to run candidates in the north but express their concern here is just kind of lip service? Because obviously, you know, the majority of people here in the south do support United Ireland. Do you think that's the only reason? why they're saying they support it? I think it's because it's be- maybe because it's becoming more politically popular. I mean, I think both parties, however, though, in fairness, have always said that they're in favour of United Ireland. So, like, I mean, I think that is in both of their constitutions, I would imagine that if their parties that they're in favour of United Ireland. So I think it just depends. Was it something that they were specifically focused on? And that obviously depends on different leaders, etc., but like, I mean, I welcome anyone that wants to have that conversation in relation to United Ireland um, and who has backing in relation to United Ireland, like to have that conversation. Absolutely. But we do need to push things forward. Um, I don't think it's being pushed forward fast enough. I don't think um, I, I do think we need a citizens assembly in relation to this. Um, that's not something that the government is currently willing to do. But I do think we need greater movement in relation to this conversation in relation to this at the end of the day. It's a British Secretary of State that um, decides when um, a unity referendum would happen. So the unity referendum would happen north and south on the same day. Um, but obviously it wouldn't just be a British Secretary of State. The reality is it would be a British cabinet that would decide that. Um, so and like that pressure does need to come from um, an Irish government to have that. So I do think that um, we need to start. Look, I think this is happening. We need to start preparing. We need to, and we, we need to start building for it. And do you think that prior to this referendum, do you think we need to know what we're voting for? Do you think this conversation needs to happen before the referendum or after the referendum? Well, I think the conversation needs to happen now. Like, you need to start right today. Like, I think, um, like, I think this, this is the, the movement towards, like, what we can't have is a government that is behind the times again, and we've seen that so many times, that a government, um, you know, that the, that the people are moving towards Irish unity um, and that, the government comes, that is government's on the back foot in relation to this. We need to start that conversation now um, and have start and have a think about, I suppose, you know, like have all those conversations about what kind of United Ireland you want, how what kind of United Ireland I want um, and everyone else in between. So I think the conversation absolutely needs to start now. And are you nervous about what the reaction could be if let's say there is a unity referendum and in the north, 
it wins at maybe 51 to 49. Are you kind of nervous about the reaction that 49% to, you know, if we're saying, okay, well, you know, majority rules, there's United Ireland now, deal with it? Or do you think it needs to be kind of more of a nuanced conversation with those people? Well, I mean, I think what would be very important is that we don't have a repetition, I suppose, of what happened here previously um, in this state where it was kind of like that. Like what I think what we need is, um, like at the end of the day, it is, you know, 50 plus one is literally what is in the Gulf Friday Agreement. That is what was agreed in 1998. So like, let's just be very frank and clear about that. That's important because I think that's often lost in the conversation. That's what everyone's signed up to. The other thing is obviously, you know, what people forget then is, you know, because you often hear people say, oh, it can't be 50 plus one or whatever. But then what about the over 50% of people that want to unite Ireland that aren't happy with this? How, what, what, what about them? Um, the other thing is obviously, in any, even if it was 99%, right? Which like, you know, imagine it was 99%, right? 99.9%. That 0.1%, we, they, they would absolutely, would be absolutely crucial. There would be continued conversations that they would feel comfortable, that they would feel included. I mean, no matter what the percentage is, it's not that you would just turn around and say, look, deal with it. That, that, that should never be an attitude. Um, it has to be in relation to like, you know, bringing people on board continuing um you know inclusivity and um and you know keeping people on board really or keep, keeping people within the conversation and that I think that's absolutely crucial so overall it's an inclusive movement that's whether you're a loyalist or nationalist that it's very much a united ireland is for everybody on the island oh 100% yeah and that's the most important thing but i think that's what self determination brings is that um confidence even within ourselves as a nation that you know um, I, I just think that, that, yeah, I really do. I really do believe, but absolutely, it is for everyone. Um, and it needs to be for everyone. Otherwise, we failed. And obviously, at the moment, you know, the government are trying to push back this unity referendum as far as they can. But do you think we could be in a situation in a few years' time where you could have a Sinn Fein Taoiseach plus a Sinn Fein uh, First Minister up in the north? Do you think it'll be possible, if that's going to happen, will it be possible to avoid this referendum at all? I obviously hope that will happen. I think if that does happen, obviously we'll be moving toward, like, you know, obviously we'll be moving to a um, unity referendum. But like, even if that isn't the case, it should still be happening. Like, I mean, I do think um, that's that's where the conversation is going. Brilliant. Thanks so much for talking to me today, Marie. I really appreciate Brilliant. it. Brilliant. Thanks a million. Thanks Talk So that was Sinn Féin TD Mairead Farrell. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. Next week I'll be talking to NUIG Student Union President Roisin Nick Lachlan on student politics and student welfare.